G apostrophe day. It is that time again for Witch Car Weekly, your week of all things automotive in review. And you join me, Daniel Gardner, in the studios at Bauer Media. And as always, I won't be doing this alone because that frankly sounds like some kind of torturous experience for both you and me. I am joined by a panel of experts from all of our best motoring titles at Bauer Media. First... And not necessarily foremost, just first, uh, Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. Thank you, sir. Hello, Dan. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're also joined by Andy Enright, a, a fabulous chap, and also the Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine. Struth. <laughs> sure. I never know what you're going to come out with. Uh, but we are joined by a special guest in the studio by the fabulous, and when I say fabulous, I mean fabulous in some kind of vision of black clothing, uh, the lovely Noelle Faulkner. Hello. Uh, Noelle you. is one of our senior writers at Witch Car also, and just general, general all-round motoring goddess. She's also a Pontiac genuine part. If, you, if her T-shirt is anything to be believed, she is. This week, it is a very special week because, of course, we have revealed all of the AMAs or the Australian Motoring Awards. Last night was a very big night. Now, if you have noticed a slight different tone to my voice, it is definitely not because I'm putting on my best radio tone, uh, nor is it to do with the fact that I spent um, three nights at a music festival. It is because last night was the premiere event in the Australian motoring industry calendar, the AMAs, and that is what we'll be running through on today's show. I was going to say we'd have time for Scotty to give us a review of the first round of the World Rally Championship, but we're not, uh, because the main reason for that is because we're going to do a little special, aren't we, later? Yeah, little... What uh, will people have to look for if they want to listen to that? Uh, we'll just uh, put it up on the uh, same same uh, accounts you usually find our Witch you Car Weekly. You haven't thought about it, have you? No, That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Okay, it'll be called something like Scotty's... Oh, it'll be, just a Car, it'll be just a Witch Car Weekly special. Great. Lovely. Yeah. Look out for that. But for today's show, it is all about the AMAs, and in no particular order, slash a really carefully thought out order that you and I were talking about before, Scott, right. there are four uh, very premium events, uh, awards given out on the night, which was last night. Um, and we will start with... The Witch Car Style Award. Now, this is the award that is probably the, it's certainly the youngest. It's only uh, four years in the running. Um, but it's increasingly gathering a following and, and relevance. And uh, this is actually the reason that Noel joins us, because you were a judge on this year's award, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Now, Witch Car Style Award, um, we got together a panel of judges. There were seven, no, nine. Seven or nine? Nine. I don't know how many nine? there were. We were both there. Why don't we know? Split the difference. Say eight. That would definitely be wrong. Okay, there were 35 panellists. Um, and we gathered together uh, a number of cars. Just tell us a little bit, Noel, about what what is this award and why is it gaining increasing relevance? Um, well, the, style of, the Witch Car Style Award is um, judged based on uh, design and aesthetics and form and function. So um, the award is a highly superficial one but it is a <laughs> it is a um it is a very important sector because we look at um the way the car looks um the function and you know obviously the emotion that comes from car design which i think is very relevant to how we buy cars Absolutely. yeah i'm sorry i told you but yeah i mean you say it's superficial but people buy cars for superficial reasons totally I mean, 100%, yeah. we all you know we generally talk about what they like to drive but for the large majority of people who just drive to and from work how they interact with their car and how it makes them feel when they walk out in the morning is far more important than, you know, its on-limit handling capability. So mm. it could be the most relevant award in a 
viewed another way. Oh, I mean superficial in the best way. Yeah. Yes. You know, nobody wants like <laughs> nobody wants in to drive hideous cars. Yes. Vacuous, right. shallow way. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah, which is my favourite way. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then, the, the, surely, the the question that hopefully everyone is thinking now is, it, for such a subjective area, how do you qualify and quantify? Who the winner is? What what segments are you looking at? And and oh, I'm just a million questions because you know surely that that creates a lot of arguments and um, mm-hmm. a dispute between the judges. So how, what is the process? How do you arrive um, at the winner? Well, at, at, you know we talk about what we like. Um, for this for the first year this year we actually drove the cars. Um, previous years we just kind of walked around them in a big. Um, warehouse or something like that and just looked at them but this year we actually got to drive them so we did get to feel um how design comes into play um with driving a car um and but i mean we we judge what we like um the and really importantly is innovation um and as once we reveal the winner of this year um that's what set it apart from the others is um innovation in design that leads us very nicely into the contenders. So who do we have this year? Any sort of notable standouts? We had the um, Alfa Romeo Stelvio. Yep. Uh, the new Toyota Corolla. Uh, we had the Alpine um, A110. Yep. I'm really uh, putting you on the spot here, aren't you? I can yeah, no. Uh, the, Ford, <laughs> the Ford Ranger Raptor. Yeah. Um, the Audi A7 and the Range Rover Velar. And the Jaguar I-Pace. And I the Jaguar was... I-Pace, yes. See, that's good. Teamwork. See, I was, <laughs> I was frantically racking my brain because it's really difficult when someone puts you on the spot to remember mm. seven cars or what was it a million cars. Anyway, um, <laughs> so notable standouts. I mean, look, a lot of people would be saying for a style award, uh, you've got a, a dual cab ute in there and you've got a sensible Japanese hatchback. Mm. How do they fit in? Well, the dual cab ute actually was a favourite. Um, I think once you kind of pick apart uh, the purpose of the car and why it's built, why it's designed that way, and, you know, the Ford, the, the Ranger Raptor is a brutish, angry-looking thing, and that's its style and function, so it fits its own brief. And then you look at something like the Velar, which is, you know, the epitome of luxury. I mean, the, the one we had on site was had this ridiculous cream interior that no one could ever live with, but it looked great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, uh, devil's advocate aside, I, I have to say that, you know, you look at the Raptor and people might be saying, why is that there? The reason it's there is because I would say, albeit for having a really fantastic suspension system, a majority of people are buying the Raptor because of the way it looks. Mm. So it, in many ways, that's one of its most unique selling points. Yeah. Is, I, th- so I think the common thread through all of our awards when we do them will be performance of intended function. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, so whether it's how it drives or how it looks, if it is meant to look that way and it nails it, you know, makes you feel that way and it, you know, gives you that sense of, I guess, mm-hmm. aggression or power or whatever it is, then it's, you know, it could be a worthy winner in the same way that, you know, a Ferrari or a Velar or something yeah. more traditional would be. And well, with the Raptor, it's like livability in design as well. And mm-hmm. it's pushing that luxury sector in a dual cab U. Yeah. Because, you know, people that are buying the, the Ranger Raptor probably spent a lot of time in that car. So it is super comfy and really nice. Isn't it? Like you don't want to spend your work day, your family life, all of that thing. You know, the reason why you're buying something like a dual cab U in a car that hasn't no thought of design put in. That's mm-hmm. The other one I really want to talk about is the Corolla because... Mm. If you haven't, people listening, if you haven't seen the new Corolla, you might be going, nah, seriously, you've lost me now. Raptor, I can probably get my head around, but, uh, you know, perhaps in previous years, one of the most invisible cars of them all. Why is the Corolla there? Is is it there because it's it's done the same thing as always and people just know what they're getting, or has it done something new? Uh, it has, It well, it is the all new one, and it's it's probably, I would say, one of the most anticipated cars of last year, um, certainly in that 
that sector. And I think the new Corolla has a completely new look to it. It did divide a lot of our judges um, because, you know, it did have the one that we had there. I mean, obviously, when we when we were judging it, you have to keep in mind the options. But the one we had had a real racer boy stance. If you look in the boot, um, the boot is quite small. But for its all intents and purposes, um, it the, is a small hat. The new Corolla will be a very interesting one, actually, because Toyota have traditionally made, you know, white goods that do, re- do you know, do your day-to-day motoring really, really well. With this new Corolla, it seems like, hey, we'll put a bit of fun to drive in it. We'll put a bit of, you know, styling pizzazz in it. But, you know, it's got a small boot. It's got a small back seat. Some of the tech is, you know, it looks good, but, you know, it's maybe not class-leading. So will that alienate its traditional buyers? It's, it's, it, it seems quite risky for such a large-selling model to go, hey, let's make this a little bit controversial. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to uh, see if it pays dividends or not. So there's a couple of wild cards in there, which I can reveal neither one, but, you know, they, they did both, I think they both got votes, didn't they? The Corolla and the Raptor. Yeah. Yeah, the Raptor was definitely up there. Corolla, yeah. I think, was at the bottom end. Okay. Um, but... But what we really want to know is what mm. won. The winner of the Witch Carl Star Award this year was the Audi A7. Yay! Fantastic. Okay. And, and why did it do that? I mean, as if we really... It, it is a stunning car. Yeah. It's a huge step up over the previous version, both technologically, ergonomically, and, of course, in design as well. Um, what, what was the general feedback from the judges? Why, why was there such a, um, a... This wasn't a unanimous decision, but why was it the clear winner? It was actually... I think the, the there was only one point between... Uh, the equal second and the winner. Oh, wow. Um, so it was really close. Yeah, it was really close. But the Audi, I mean, we all know that Audi just does sublime interiors. Um, they just do. But, you know, with the A7, it um, it had this sexy uh, fastback thing going on, but it's also, you know, this beautiful saloon interior as well. So it had uh, a dual purpose of being wanting to be driven around in it and wanting to drive it. It also had a lot of innovation. It had, um, uh, it has like an AI kind of um, infotainment system going on that's really easy and really functional to use. And I don't know if anyone has seen um, David's hilarious uh, video on the Witch Car website of him trying to use the... um the draw it's like a oh yeah you can use handwriting yeah you can write on the screen um so like it had a lot of innovation going on but it also um in a design perspective it had it has the beautiful sequential blinkers and one thing that stood out for me in terms of like um innovation trends is it has that cyclops um uh tail light which we're Mm -hmm. starting to see in a lot of cars um coming out now like the new the new um porsche 911's got that yeah and um, I think that's been that's a real key design element that's coming, you know, twenty nineteen onwards. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful car. I think I, had mm. to, I actually have that car over Christmas. Um, oh, lucky oh, you, lucky for get me. You. Privilege. Yeah. How good am I? Well, um, there you go. Yeah. So the twenty nineteen which car style award goes to the Audi A seven, and, and we will see hopefully with each passing year increasing relevance of the award. Mm. But we are of course here to talk about the others as well, and we will do that very shortly. But before we go on, I do mm. want to do my customary mention of the which car uh, television series, which is going strong. We are now into our third. Actually, help me out here, guys. Third or fourth episode fourth. now. Episode. Wow, well, there we go. Yes, yeah, still, still going strong and um, doing rather well. We are getting some good feedback from our dear viewers. Uh, if you haven't actually caught it yet, then do f- uh, make sure you tune in to Channel 10, 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoons to catch some of us, if not all of us, doing our thing. Noelle, you're in a few of those as well. I can't wait to see your feature <laughs> with a Volkswagen Touareg in the Moroccan desert. But anyway, tune into that. Channel 10, Sunday afternoons, 4 p.m.
Now then, the next award that was given away last night at the AMAs, the Australian Motoring Awards, was of course 4x4 of the year. And I'm very pleased to welcome into the studio the 4x4 of the year expert and one of the judges. Yeah, it was me. I can't believe they took you along. I can't believe they took me along. The reason they did, though, is because they wanted... Oh, God. So some background for our listeners. Uh, Dan... What are you going to say here? Hang on. Dan wouldn't know which end to hold a 4x4. Um... And so I didn't know you even had to hold them. <laughs> There's my first failing. He, uh, but he got roped into becoming one of yes. the experts on the judging panel. Yes, yes. As Scott quite rightly says, I can't, I cannot deny. Um, put me on a racetrack and say do a billion kilometres an hour, and I'm totally fine. But say do three kilometres an hour up that hill in the middle of nowhere with absolutely no chance of fixing this car if it goes wrong, then I'm suddenly turned into a puddle of quivering jelly on the floor. So who better to take on the 4x4 of the judging process? I was entertained by the video of you sitting around a fire and you were the only one there without a beard and <laughs> you weren't trying to decimate the local wildlife Love- with a shovel and, and lovely- kill it skinny, and eat it. Lovely skinny denim jeans as well. <laughs> I don't think Distress. Matt Renonica saw uh, Norm. It was... Distress shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I came out with a lovely tan. <laughs> I mean, my nails were shot. Oh, but no. My tan, oh, you wouldn't That's believe it. That was the only thing missing on that clip of all these Aussie, you know, true blue Aussie blokes was you doing your nails in there. <laughs> I think I would have been burnt immediately right. if I'd done that. But anyway, look. Um, what did I, you learn? What did you learn? Tell us. I'm, I'm glad you asked. So, I, I, look, I came back having had a very positive experience. It was almost a life-changing experience in as much as I probably died several times. But um, it, was, it, was a, it was fantastic to get behind the scenes and understand what these guys do every year. Uh, it is a gathering of some of the most experienced and uh, and the, the experts of 4x4 and off-road touring um, and I, yeah look I learnt how to drive off-road to a degree but what I really learnt is that there is no better way of seeing this amazing country of ours which a large part of it is completely inaccessible unless you have a pretty hardcore off-road and that's what we had we had a number of these things together um, there was all kinds of uh, wild cards in there Mercedes's new X-Class was in there which is one we're all watching you know we didn't know if it was going to be a rebadged Navara or an actual gen- generally you know um, compelling proposition I think any someone I think whenever you say rebadged Navara there's like an eye twitch that goes on in Mercedes-Benz HQ they, were, they just have to expect that if you're going to yes. platform share or you know share the major mechanicals of a car that's you right. just have to expect it we had a Sangyong in there. We had three Fords. Um, we had a really good spread. Now, the thing, as with all the awards, is they're not competing against all the others on that year. They're competing against themselves. They, the, the manufacturer makes these, these propositions and promises, um, and we have to go out there and test if they do exactly what they, the brief is. Now, it was five days out in far outback New South Wales, proper red dirt, lots and lots of flies, very hot and sticky, and absolutely no showers for I think it was three days at one point which was Ew. basically one of the worst things that's ever happened to me but it was what was uh, so tell us some of the surprises what surprised you as a, as a novice coming in with a certain level of expectation good or bad what did you drive during the week or what did you find yourself doing during the week that went oh this is you know interesting first of all I was surprised at how easy it is to get a puncture if you're me because no one else got a puncture and I got two, three, actually two and a half because it didn't fully go down before we managed to fix it. So yes, I managed to puncture a tyre by getting airborne off a cattle grid. I also managed to tear one off a wheel by going around a sand bowl too fast um, and I just managed to 
give another one a puncture just by standing too close to it, I think. So, yeah, that was the first surprise. Just looked at it. Second of all was, um, yeah, just how, how... I mean, I know this sounds like, to anyone who's been out there, it's an obvious statement, but it is really big out there. You know what I mean? There's a lot of space. There's a lot of absolutely nothing for a long, long time. Um, and we ended up it, uh, in a place that... Uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but I will remember a moment. It's where, they, it's where they filmed Mad Max 2, and that was a really wonderful place to go. So that was right out um, beyond Broken Hill and Silverton. Um, yeah, so... I came back with a little bit more confidence for doing these things. Um, I would never have dreamed of going out somewhere as remote unless I had a team of basically Australia's leading <laughs> 4x4 experts. Not many people get that privilege. Um, I have to say that the Ford Ranger was a real standout because just we had an XLT, which is a fairly standard version given some of the other ones they do like the wild track and the raptor um we had an everest uh, and we also had the raptor and any three of those just um instilled such a sense of confidence you know you just feel like you really could go out there and and do um you know days of touring and and really be looked after that's kind of the, the feeling of confidence they gave you the the winner in the end uh, i don't think anyone was surprised by the end that it was absolutely deserving of the 4x4 of 2019 it was the ford ranger raptor so i was a bit surprised by that because i thought Why? maybe even though it's uh super off-road focused i thought that you know it's maybe maybe that for their testing regime it would be a little bit of tinsel you know it's more about baja kind of things and not so much rock crawling but i guess if you do think about it more the fact that it's got this amazing suspension fantastic tires um, you know, grunty diesel engine that doesn't really it doesn't go very fast, but doesn't need to in that environment. So I guess if you think about it more, it does make sense. But I thought, you know, maybe the Mahindra or something like that that's something a bit more honest and down to earth. But the truth was is that they all did the job what, that they pertained to do at the start of the, the week incredibly well. You know, the, the Mahindra is as fugly as let's be honest but it is an incredibly good value package you know for what that car is going to be sold to do which is just be a hard-working mule on a farm somewhere it was brilliant it was absolutely brilliant actually surprisingly refined in some ways and you know the, the everest was far more comfortable than anyone expected the sangyong was the most car-like of them all to drive it was oh, really? it wasn't the best off-road but you know they all they all did things very well and it was actually it was in many ways a pretty tight competition there you go very interesting mahindra's an ugly little thing isn't oh. it <laughs> So much. I kept seeing pictures of it appearing on the web, and it just reminded me of my cousin who, who kept posting pictures of her newborn baby, and <laughs> it, it, it was she was very well intentioned and all that thing, but the, the thing's got a head like a steamer trunk. Like, you know, I'll, I'll be. Is it like one it. of those French bulldogs that comes out a bit? Wonky. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 and you're like, oh, it's kind of cute, but it's I, like, oh, yeah. I just, I just felt I couldn't say that though. No. I know I was a solo judge, but I don't hate it. <laughs> there you go, like Noel. It's so ugly, yeah. it's come back again. style? Yeah. Not next year. She's oh, not. No. Uh, so there you go, Andy's cousin. If you're listening, we're sorry. <laughs> I have many cousins. It's hey. not you. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I'm curious about what did it teach you about the segment? Because that um that is a growing, it's an ever growing segment in Australia. What did you What did you learn about the that segment of um, you know, tough four by four? What? Yeah, good question. It, increasingly, people are buying dual cab. <laughs> no, no, no. Increasingly, Flies. people are buying dual cab utes uh, <laughs> as a replacement or the substitute for the family car. So you know, where previously we saw wagons and, and obviously SUVs are a big deal. 
If you had to have just one car to do it all, then you can see the allure of these dual-cab utes. They might not be the best on-road, but they're fine, they're livable. And if, you've, if you're used to a car that's 10 years old, in some ways they're a step up in terms of refinement and ride quality. You fit the whole family in, plus luggage in the back, they will go absolutely anywhere. If you had to have one car to do it all, I, I actually can't think of much better. And for so, me, one of the, that's one of the strengths of the Ranger Raptor, is that suspension may be designed to work off-road, but it transforms the car's on-road comfort as well like it rides beautifully like a almost like a luxury sedan and doesn't have that you know constant body wobble you get in the usual sort of leaf sprung dual cab sort of thing so it does transform it into a yeah usable family car and yeah week out in outback new south wales is a, a very good way of highlighting that uh you are listening to which car weekly the bauer media week of all things motive, automotive in review and we are reviewing this week the australian motoring awards next up and presented last night we are all still just a little bit dusty uh it was of course the motor performance car of the year, Woo. and our judge and representative of that in the studio today is Scott. Yes, please tell us, sir, how did the the premium performance car award of the year go? So, me and my fellow judges are, you know, we're the envy, I think, because we get to play with all the really fast, expensive things. We get to go and hoon around a racetrack, all in the name of science. Um, we had uh, the 10 best performance cars of the year which means we had 11 cars this year um, which is usually the way <laughs> right because the trouble is because we aim for the aim for the stars with some things you know Lamborghinis Ferraris you put the invites out and you need to have 10 cars in case they say no and right, then invariably okay. one or two of them actually comes through so then you end up with your best 10 being 11 or 12 Okay. No big deal. Not a bad problem to have. Not a bad problem to have, especially when um, yeah we had lots of exciting cars. This year we had a pair of BMWs, M5 and M2 competition, R8, 911 GT2 RS, i30N, Megane, Mustang and Camaro, Alpine. Um, so a very varied, even though we only deal with performance cars, we've got everything from a 40 grand hot hatch to, you know, a 100 grand coupe to a muscle car to a $750,000 ultimate sports sports supercar and once again it's worth reiterating the point the reason they can all be in the same um, contention in any particular year is because they're not competing against one another on the day they're competing against themselves absolutely and we get a lot of feedback that people maybe don't quite understand that or can't get their heads around the fact that basically what Scott's saying is you're stupid well a little bit I was being nicer than that but um if, the, if if we only cared about how fast a car was, if that was the only you know criteria, then we wouldn't even need to do the test. You'd mm. look at the numbers and go, yeah. okay, well, that's the fastest car that wins. Whereas the Civic Type R won last year because it was a better hot hatch than any of the other cars were in their respective segments. Sure. So, you know, theoretically, the i30N, if the i30N was an amazing hot hatch, and it is an amazing hot hatch, but it was if it was, like, absolutely brilliant... There's no reason that it can't win because it performs its intended role better than any other car. I jumped on your <coughs> Facebook page today and people were... Or you. Uh, I know, it, it, it was a minefield. People yeah. were complaining, you know, some of these cars are, are really inaccessible and it's almost as if they were looking for a competition that judged cars with more bang for their buck, as it were. Yeah, exactly. Funny we did a test throughout the year that was called bang for your buck. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But it was funny, uh, one commenter who actually came with us last year, um, a guy named Ryan, uh, 
he put it well. It's like they complained when the Civic won. It was the cheapest car. And then this year, I'll spoil the, you know, it's no spoiler, the 911 GT2 RS won. And wow. they complained that the fastest and most expensive car won. So, like, yeah. it's basically the usual deal with internet commenters. It's like the car I like most didn't win, so therefore I'm going to whinge about it. Yeah, um, okay. So the process, that, uh, the judging process, you, you have a, a very, had a very good deal this last year in that you used the um, the Bend, the, the newest racetrack in Australia. Absolutely. So basically uh, we took Picotti off to Adelaide because Dylan wanted to drive around the Bend, essentially, um, which is his prerogative as editor. So we yeah, upped camp and uh, took 11 cars plus a couple of support vehicles over there, used the fabulous roads in the Adelaide Hills, and used the Ben's fabulous facilities uh, for our track testing and straight line testing. Is it Sounds amazing? rubbish. Yeah, is it as good as it looks? Because that track looks absolutely amazing. I haven't driven it yet. But... I mean, that's the thing. They've got lots of layouts, and their headline layout is this big 7.7-kilometre international circuit, which is you know the second longest racetrack in the world, permanent racetrack. Um, we couldn't use that because you know we'd still be testing now. So we used their shortest configuration, but even that is still a fantastic little circuit yeah. that has a wide variety of corner types, and it's got this massive long straight. GT2 RS was doing... 270 at the end of it um so yeah which is good because in the main straight we can do performance testing it's got every sort of corner you really need to test out a car's on limit handling which is what we use the racetrack for it's we do select lap times but it's basically about all these cars now are so quick that if we did it purely on road you'd go well well all these cars are way too fast for the road so we take it to a track throw them around a bit and um see what's what see do you feel that you kind of steal the show a little bit <clears throat> when it comes to the AMAs every year? Because, you know, we're all, everyone else is looking at cars that are, you know, rugged 4x4s and we're looking at a best all-rounder for wheels. And, and then you just rock up with something that's just fast and usually expensive and very sexy by default. Do you kind of feel you steal the show a little bit on the night? Because you definitely did last night. Yeah, well, you know. You I'd had a red 911 GT2 RS that rolled out. We heard it before we saw it. I did feel a bit sad. I think they were doing a segment for the Style Award, and then they started the GT2 RS up halfway through it. So they were, you know, talking about their... Out, their they're very, very proud of their Audi win, and then suddenly it's... Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. How um, dare you? No, it, yeah. did, it did look fantastic. I was sitting on the table, and everyone's jaw just went clonk. Oh, it is, it's an amazing looking thing. It, looks, yeah. it just looks so intimidating. Yeah. Which leads me to a good segue of why it won, though, yep. because it's not anywhere near as intimidating as you think it's going to be. You look at it, and you hear the numbers, and you think, this thing is going to tear your head off, and then, you know, reverse over your corpse but it, <laughs> but it doesn't it's i mean it's easy to, it's pdk only now so it's it's very very noisy inside like you can hear the brake di calipers brilliant pads on the discs you can hear the gearbox working oh. so it's got no um but that adds to the sense of occasion but you know it rides all right it's not particularly uncomfortable it's super easy to drive light steering um until you put your foot down uh but even at driving it like 10 tenths driving it as hard as you can it's got such ability and such balance that you don't need to fear it like you can actually sort of power slide it around and go oh this is this is fine this is um you know pretty friendly which you wouldn't expect looking at how terrifying it is i mean Dan, andy you've driven it was that something you'd found as well no i, I found it surprisingly accessible in that regard but mm -hmm. we drove it up at i thought you were going to disagree Creek. with me then i was no yell no at you. no and it was only on at the very top of the mountain on the road that had gone through these freeze door cycles and was mm -hmm. very damaged that, that it started moving around a bit. It, it was a car you could really, really drive hard yeah, and not be it's, afraid it's, of. One of its only flaws is that on a really bumpy road, it hasn't got the travel to sort of, and the electronics, it's one of its biggest flaws, actually, it's got no sports ESP setting. So 
it either is fully on and you get all this electronic intervention as it tries to control all this horsepower or you get have to turn it all the way off, which is a bit nerve-wracking when it's yeah three-quarters of a million dollars as tested. Must be said, though, I didn't vote for the GT2 RS. What did, very quickly, what did you vote for? Uh, well, uh, very, very quickly, it was a very interesting decision because three of the five judges voted for the M2, so you go, right, oh, the okay. M2 should win. But the GT2 had a higher overall score and no one had it lower than second where someone had the M2 fifth, so on average it... The GT2 RS1. I voted for the M2 competition because um, basically I had as much fun in that as I did the GT2 RS, and it's a seventh the price. There you are, hugely jealous. The uh, 2019 maybe next year then performance car of the year 911 GT2 RS. I'm still yet to get my hands on one. Not bitter at all. There is one final award that we need to talk about, and it is the wheels car of the year. Andy, please, as one of the judges, take it away. The Volvo XC41. And and that's, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, thank you for joining us. <laughs> I just yeah, I just like to get that out there because I'm useless at suspense. But uh, it follows uh, Volvo's maiden win last year um, with the XC60. Volvo are on a major roll. Uh, this year was the first time in their history they sold over 600,000 cars, up 12% on last year. They're absolutely crushing it. And uh, whereas the XC60 last year, it was an absolutely easy decision. This year it was a little bit more involved because... Car of the Year is separated into two legs, more or less. A leg at the Proving Ground, which is at Ford's Yu Yang's facility, and then we go out on the road and do road loops in the cars. And after the leg at the Proving Ground, the Jaguar I-Pace looked like it had the thing sewn up. It was like, you know, this is a bust. Yeah. Let's go home. Noel yeah. is one of the judges on the panel, and we were all just looking at each other thinking... This yeah. is over. I must admit, yeah. looking at the contenders, I thought this thing's going to have it sewn up because you've got the you've got the innovation, you've got the technology. Yep. But from all I haven't driven it yet, but from all reports, you also have sort of class-leading performance, mm-hmm. practicality, you know, handling, and the potential in that car is there. But when we took it out on the road loops, we found that the cars in question they were, to Jaguar's credit, very early pre-production vehicles weren't making the range they claimed they were so they couldn't get all the way around the wheels test loop and in addition to that they were throwing up some quite strange battery faults so it wouldn't start for an hour or so and in the end that car got through to the last three but you can't you can't give an award to a car that does that as as much credit as that car had banked you you just think no no it's kind of managed to snatch it's a tricky one was the, the um, victory yeah. that was the best way you described it yeah, to me yeah. i thought that was just wonderful i wanted that to be a headline somewhere yeah snatching defeat from the jaws of victory yeah. is just exactly but, what it did but it is a, it is a super thing and that car's time will come and that left two in the end we you know we brought along 47 cars in total and wow. we ended up with the subaru forester and the volvo xc40 and that was a tighter decision than I thought it would be. The Forest is a real surprise package because Subaru is a bit of a, it's a global Minow, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't have a huge development budget. So for them to deliver a class-leading SUV, um, you know, for, I'm sure, the budget they had, I mean, they don't have, as far as I'm aware, it's not platform shared, shared with anything, really, and all that sort of thing. For them yeah. to do that on that budget is very, very impressive. Every year at Cotty, there's a car that just seems to ghost through the whole competition <laughs> and then you look around on the last day and there it is and, and nobody would have backed it at the start of the competition you know, everyone was saying the Camry and the Corolla are, are going to do really well and they fell at the first so did the Focus um, 
And that, in essence, is a, is a good sign, isn't it? Because what you're trying to find is the car that does everything very well. Yeah. And and if you have too many standouts in particular areas, then that's that's probably going to earmark it as not doing that. So the fact that there's one that can so insidiously sort of creep along and do perf- solid performance all the way through, your process is, yeah. is infallible. And the, the, the thing that the, the Subaru, Forester and the Volvo XC40 had in common is that both of them have a really, really strong lineup. You can buy the base car with no options and you'll be perfectly happy with it. Or you can buy the top of the range model. Um, they both are packed with safety features. They do really, really well against the, against the judging criteria. And it's that process that we've sort of honed since 1953. Yeah. That, that yeah. Eventually, if you respect that process, it will spit out the best car. Hmm. And we're just facilitating as judges. So what, facilitating so what um, set the XC40 apart in the end the that XC, made it the winner? Uh, the XC40 is very, very polished. And the great thing about it is it's kind of half a size bigger than all of its rivals. Um, it's got a longer wheelbase than anything like the BMW X2, Audi Q2, um, Jaguar E-Pace. So you can use it as genuine family transport. It's, it's usable. And the value proposition is really good as well on that car. Um, you can get a 185 kilowatt T5 model with four-wheel drive for the same price that you would get a front-wheel drive BMW X, X1, X2. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just stood up really, really well against the crowd. I'm really happy because Volvo obviously had a meeting 10 years ago or whatever and said, what do we want our identity to be? What do we stand for? And they've absolutely nailed it. From the XC90, XC60, even like the S90, They've absolutely got it down pat in terms, and I feel really good for them because yeah, they've yeah. executed their vision. So many car companies now don't really know what they stand for, yeah. e-mobility or performance or whatever. They know what they stand for, they know what they're trying to achieve, and they're nailing it. It is a case study in brand management mm-hmm. from Geely. They've done really, really well with that car. You know, I had a, a Citroen designer at the Paris show last year sort of say to me quite sort of tartly, um, Volvo's never been more Swedish since it's been owned by the Chinese. Yes, um, um, that was the worry. You didn't know if it was going to just become folded in, but they've actually celebrated its brand heritage rather than trying to, you know, amalgamate it into, you know, a hybrid yeah, of really something. clever and a deserved victor this year. Very quickly, I just want to talk about, you know, we go back to the I-Pace, the one that looked like it was going to do so well. One of the things you were saying is that just how much it highlighted how Australia is not ready for the electric car in terms of in- infrastructure. It was really handicapped, notably, wasn't it? That was one of the things that really let it down. Yeah, it we, was hard. Yeah. It was hard because it was so obvious because where you know where we were in you know, rural victoria it was so obvious that the infrastructure wasn't there and then we had this discussion over and over again being like well we can't judge down the car be- because of the infrastructure and that was well, um can you that's hard yeah. well, but it's not the thinking, car's yeah. it's not the car's fault that the, the victorian government didn't put a supercharger you know in the middle of lock that's not the car's fault. But the job, of the, sorry, the job of car of the year is to recommend the car, is it not? Is that not sort of part of it? So, you know, if, if you had the best car in the world, but it only works on Mars, then surely, actually that's a contradiction in terms, the best, job, the best car out of the world, I should yeah. have said. No, it's like launching a car that can only run on, you know, 110 Ron fuel. Precisely. But it's yeah, the yeah. first of a new segment, and this is the thing. It's the first E, well, aside from, te- from Tesla's, it's the first performance EV um, of its kind, and it's you know there's we know that there's all these other ones coming, um, 
Yeah, we did. We did the EV <laughs> mega test that, that followed it, and it was hard, hard work. Finding we were rocking up at charges, and the charges were out of commission, and all that sort of stuff. We ended up just driving around with the aircon off, sweating <laughs> in the vehicles, and it was a eighty kilometers an hour on the humid. It was a thoroughly miserable experience. It's so, real. Yeah, as much as I, I, I do love EVs. Yeah. Tough. Range anxiety is so real, and the and it's great because you know we've talked about all the awards here, and they and we're continuing to argue and debate about you know the cars that are involved, <laughs> and which is so this this is why they're so relevant, and that and that is why we'll continue to do what we do. The thing that I've learned from this is that you know Noel gets a Turak Mansion for the venue of the Style Awards, mm. Andy and Noel both get you know top secret proving ground in the, in the middle of nowhere to do their wheels car of the year. Um, Scotty gets a, the, one of the best race tracks in Australia, and, and if not the, the world. And I get some mud that's too far you away from get, everything. You get so who drew the short straw? You precious little princess. That <laughs> is all we have time for on Witch Car Weekly this week. Uh, next week, we've got plenty to talk about. As always, I'll hopefully be welcoming back the same old faces and voices. Uh, it is the Leadfoot Festival in New Zealand that will be going off. And also, there's the Bathurst 12-hour. I'd love to have a little bit more of a chat about those, but we have completely run out of time. Until next week. Do drive safely, and if you can't, then tell us all about it. You can get in touch through our social media pages and also the website, whichcar.com.au. And in the meantime, I'm going to be Daniel Garner some more. Thank you very much.